this is Kenya and welcome to my Magical Cottage Core Life. Today, we're going to get into a spicy or rather a fiery topic. Or maybe it's both. It's been a minute, but I had to take a little vacation because I needed to get back in touch with me and actually doing the things that I do the episodes about. That way I have a lot more content so that you can know what the outcomes of all of these things that we do together are in real life. So today we're going to start with something really fun. Now open up your big book of stuff and turn to the section on ashes because today we're going to talk about preparing, using, and experiencing culinary ash. That's right. And if you don't know what that is, you will by the end of today's episode. Let's get started. Now, when we think about using ashes, one of the first things that people think of in the Western world, specifically in the Christianized Western world, is the things that you have left over after burning things on Ash Wednesday. You know, I am not a Catholic. I do not practice Ash Wednesday, but I have many people who do, in fact, in my life. And on my forehead, there is a birthmark that is brought into play every time Ash Wednesday comes around because it really does look like I have ashes on my forehead. If you are not in Christian or Christendom in the Western world, you may also have experienced using ashes in other religions and other practices. However, what we're talking about today is culinary ash, not symbolic or spiritual usage of ashes. One of the more extreme versions of making culinary ash is when you go outside and you set something on fire in a pit. And that to me is the traditional way to do it. You've probably run across, if you're studying indigenous culinary practices, the practice of the technique of burning juniper into ash and adding adding it to blue cornmeal for a seasoning. Now, when you do this, you also have the added benefit of calcium added to your dish. And that's one way that you can get calcium into it. But this is not about appropriating other people's practices today. I'm just giving you this information so you know about it. Another thing that the ash is used for in food is to make it where you can digest and get the nutrients from corn because eating corn and when I say corn I mean the United States version of corn which is also known as maize that's the corn I'm talking about not European corn but when you eat this corn here you don't always get the nutrients from it in fact many times you will find after it passes through your body that's the most polite way for me to put it that the corn was not completely broken down and 
when you're dealing with a situation that food is life, water is life, food is life, air is life, when you are eating to survive, it's extremely, extremely important to be able to process all of the foods to the utmost. And this is where processing corn with ash came into being. And you probably have seen it in the form of hominy. But it's not just in corn that we use ash. We also can see people using ash when they're doing things like using it to preserve or to coat cheeses. We don't think about cheese very often in everyday life unless we're a cheesemonger. And in general, we don't really look at what cheese may be coated with in regular practice while it's curing. Oftentimes, when you think of cheese being coated, you think of wax. And that is pretty, pretty typical and pretty customary for many cheeses. Other cheeses may have cheesecloth. Yes, cheesecloth actually does have a use other than just, you know, making cheese and being Halloween decorations. But it's not kept on there like you might think. It's, it's used in a different way. But you also have cheeses that are coated with ash because that's another way that they store it. So it's not like it's not used in other places. And as we are continuing forward in this episode, I want you to remember that ashes have their own flavor and their own, I want to say, nutrient content in some cases. And in this particular case, I'm going to tell you about a culinary ash that I made today. Well, actually not today, but I used today. I made it a part of my meal. And this culinary ash was actually created a few weeks ago, I want to say two, and I'm just now beginning to add it to my meals. And I'm going to tell you, it has a very distinct flavor signature. I can't truly explain it to you. You'd have to make your own. I will say this, uh, moderation is good, but it does add a certain something. It's like when you add something bitter to your food. It may not be a taste you want on its own, but it does have a certain amount of appeal when you add it to something else that may not have uh, the omami you're looking for. Now, I want to make clear, don't just burn everything. Make sure it's edible. Don't just, just go up to a tree and grab it and tear it off and burn it because you in actuality could poison yourself, such as in the case of lilac. Well, not lilac, but um, I'm thinking of it. Oleander, that's what it is. You don't want to burn oleander and you don't want to burn you and you don't want to take those ashes and put it in your food. You could become very ill. So, and in fact, even worse than ill. But that's something to consider. For my ashes, I used my rose petals from my own rose bush that has not had any chemicals added to it. 
and as well as my sage, my common garden's green sage. I used these two particular plants because it's a flavor profile I wanted to get. I know that oftentimes the content of ashes as far as nutrition may be lost, but not always. I wanted to see, I wanted to know what garden sage and rose petals would taste like. And they're pretty much very safe things. They're not gonna hurt me. And I wanted to see if the flavor would be something that I can incorporate into my food. And it actually is. I can add it on top of my roast um, meat, as well as adding a little bit to my vegetable matter. You're not going to really taste it in the meat so much as you will taste it in your vegetables. And I do recommend it. If you can incorporate it into a sauce, even better. You can also hide it in salt or in pepper. So this can be part of your own personal kitchen pepper or seasoning blend. But just put a little bit. You don't need a lot. Also, when you're making your own culinary ash, I found out that a little does not go a long way when it comes to plant matter. I really had to load it down, my, my crucible, in order for me to have a usable amount of ash because once you burn that stuff down, it doesn't take up a lot of room at all. Now, it took a, quite some time to do this because I didn't want to smoke up my entire house, but I also wasn't prepared to go outside in order to make this. So I kind of, you know, punted. That's an American football term. I kind of did something that, you know, seemed like it was an unusual approach, but within the rules. I took a cast iron skillet. And for those of you who are about to cringe because you know what's going to happen here, my apologies, but this is how it had to be. At first, I took the cast iron skillet and I loaded it down and put it in the bottom of my stove, in the bottom of my oven. And I turned the broiler on and I just left it for some hours, like three or four hours. I came back after smelling the aroma of burning and I saw that it was charred, but it wasn't really ash. It was more like a dark brown. And that's not what we're looking for. Ash is actually ash, it's not just charred. That thought of using a charred vegetable, that's not what I'm looking for. So I had to try to figure out how we could fix it. The next thing I decided was I'm going to decide if I'm gonna put it back in or if I'm gonna try it on the stovetop. Well, I didn't wanna smoke up the house, so I put it back in under the broiler again and left it for another hour. After bringing it out, the same result happened. It was more charred, but no ash. So I had to make an adjustment. Once I decided that it had to happen the way that I'm about to tell you, it became so much easier and the process was so much faster. And I should have done this from the beginning looking back. And yes, I will warn you that if you undergo this process, your kitchen will get smoky, it will. But keep in mind that it's not so much about 
is it going to be inconvenient more so is this what I'm going for is it being done expeditiously in the most efficient way possible I will say this I have found using the skillet on top of the stove is the most expeditious way and I want to uh, give a shout out to boss Anish um, because she's the one um, she's the one that gave me the idea of doing this so big ups to you you know big shout out but I did this um, and well, boss lady Anish and I will say this it was so much easier doing it on the stovetop in the cast iron skillet everything got hot faster everything started smoking but everything actually began to burn properly I had to constantly keep moving it but it did burn now because it's cast iron and you're burning something this is not the time to use your wooden utensil I used a metal one because it just made sense to me it was intuitive if I'm burning material it's plant material I didn't think it would be the wisest thing to put a wooden utensil onto a hot metal material that's supposed to burn wood or other kinds of plant material so and it really it was a lot faster this way Once everything got going and once it started turning black, everything started glowing red hot really quickly. That is when you knew that we were right about that, that super critical moment where you have to commit to, am I going to continue to burn this? Even though I know it's probably ruining the, the, the finish on my cast iron or am I gonna stop this well I'm gonna tell you right now once you get to the point where everything's glowing red-hot ember you've already ruined the finish on the skillet you may as well just understand you're gonna have to re-season it just you're committed now so you may as well finish so that's why you do more than one batch if you're gonna do more than one blend so that's what we did um, me and the herbs together we decided are we good we're good and we went forward and we just roasted those bad boys. We roasted them and they turned immediately to red hot fire, black, and then white ash. And the ashes were wonderful. There is some black ash still in there. You could tell while it was burning which parts were sage and which parts were rose petal, which parts were stem and which parts were leaf you get to watch this whole alchemical process and it's actually really kind of beautiful in a controlled environment but keep in mind keep those windows and doors open because it is not a very uh unsmoky process i mean that's probably the one thing that you're really curious about is how smoky it is that's probably the burning question right yep you had a mom joke coming it's been a while haha -ha. But it is, it is going to get smoky. But it's not terrible. It won't fill up your whole kitchen unless probably you had everything sealed off. So it's not undoable. So now we get to the end of all of this. And once everything's charred, you let it cool down completely. Um, you do not touch it until everything's cold. Why? Because you know hot cast iron will burn your skin deeply. 
You don't want to take any chances. You also don't want to damage your brush because in order to retrieve these ashes, you will need a brush. So you're going to use your brush and you're going to just gently gather all of the ashes from everywhere. And if you have any residual hard pieces, because if you burn things like berries or other hard items that are dried, you may have some hard pieces left over. Brush this all into a mortar and pestle and then crush it up slowly. You don't want to just pound it really fast and really hard and wildly because what's going to happen is you'll just spread ash everywhere. Just take your time, crush it slowly, um, you know, just grind it down and that way you don't lose your culinary ash. It takes so much material to make it you really don't want to waste it. Finally, once everything's all ground down into a powder, you can add it to its own jar. And that's what I did. That was the first thing I did. After you've done that, you can make a decision as to whether or not you're going to add it to another herb or another spice. Keep in mind, ash has a flavor of its own. So if you mix it with something else, you will taste it. Also, it's a lighter flavor. So don't be so quick to add it to salt. It will not taste the way you think it will. Keeping in mind that some herbs out there will taste like salt once you burn them to ash. If I'm not mistaken, um, one of the cohoshes does taste like salt. It adds sodium flavor to when you're burning it. But I can't say that that is true, nor can I prove that because I haven't tried it myself. So again, I need here. I am not a certified naturopath. I am not a certified herbalist, nor am I a doctor of allopathic medicine. So I always warn you before you try anything that I tell you, what I do for me is what I do for me. And that's what I'm doing. That doesn't mean that you need to do it. Remember, don't just put things in your mouth. Always be careful. If you're not sure, when in doubt, check it out. Research. But that's what I was told about the taste of cohosh ashes. I, I do try to share um, my knowledge with my friends. And we're friends, right? Even though it's been a while, I hope that you are continuing to enjoy the richness of the journey of embracing the old and new ways around us and learning new things every day. I do miss you. I, I miss um, sharing these kinds of things with you. And if you're wondering about the taste, for some reason for me, it tastes, it makes me feel like it's a little bit of, of milk. I, I can't put my mind to what it exactly tastes like by itself, but it has like a really weird memory of milk when I when I use that blend. I don't know what it's about. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you again here on my magical cottage core life.